You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. This season, we are reading Wild at Heart by John Eldridge and Captivating by John and Stacey Eldridge, losing the plot on manhood and womanhood one chapter at a time. I am your host, Janice Legata, and I'll be ripping up this week's chapter with a good member of the Bad Book Club. Co-host, introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm say I use she her pronouns and I've been working from home meeting with people who have religious trauma as a student studying marriage and family therapy and I've also been working at a bakery which is basically just like handing people delicious pastries and pizza and just like brightening their day which is super fun I'm gonna say I connected with Janice through my appreciation of her art, her artistry, and her hilarious attitude. Excellent. So we'll get started with the reading of the opening paragraph. We'll have a discussion and then hear the closing paragraph and send you on your way. For additional context and conversation and the option to listen to these episodes with no ads, I invite you to join the people of Jod by becoming a Jodly or Jod-willing patron on Patreon. But either way, I'm happy you're here and I hope you're ready because without further ado, let's get into... Captivating. Chapter 1. Let's do it. Dusk was settling in. The air was cool, fragrant with pine and sage, and the swiftly moving river beckoned. We were camping in the Tetons, and it so happened that our canoe was on top of the car. Let's put in. John looked at me as if I had lost my mind. In less than 20 minutes night would be upon us and the river and the woods. All would be pitch black. We'd be on the river, alone, with only a general idea of which way to go, down, where to take out, head for the road and a long walk back to the car. Who knew what dangers lay out there? He looked again at me, looked at our young sons, and then said, Okay, we sprang into action. We did it. He did. I did. We rose to the challenge working together, and the fact that it required all of me, that I was in it with my family and for my family, that I was surrounded by wild, shimmering beauty and it was, well, kind of dangerous, made the time transcendent. I was no longer I was Sokka Jawia, Indian princess of the West, a valiant and strong woman. I cannot believe you have that actual book. Oh, yes, I do. I do. An extra level of trauma. Extra. Not prepared for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, me either. Because I thought that I had thrown this book away and I keep finding it. Or does it keep finding you? It's like, you know, how Christians don't like to have certain things from like other countries and cultures in their house because they're like possessed by a spirit. I had this book in my bedroom and I was like, there's like something like attached to that book and I need to like get it out of my bedroom. So you just put it in another room. Yeah, I just put it in another room. But no, like I found it, (laughs) I found it at my parents' house. I found it at my mom's house along with Wild at Heart. I swear I put them in the trash. I swear I did. And here they are. And I was like, that's fine because I should revisit that book and like, like undo some trauma, but I wasn't ready for it. And then you chose these two or did they choose you? Well, that's the question. <laughs> and I thought, I guess it's time. And so I read, she has this like story at the beginning of chapter one. And I read that story again. And I was like, I was like, did I miss something? I guess I'll read it again read it again. I was like, am I missing something? 
Like, it's this, like, epic story of an adventure, but it's like she just went, like, canoeing with her family. <laughs> I, can't find, I can't find anything else in there. There was a moose. There's a moose. There's a moose. And it, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that story and <laughs> all the issues. But, yeah, like, I read, I read that part, and I was like, I don't even want to read the rest of this chapter. I'm okay. I'm good. But I did. I did it. I braved, I braved through. You finished the adventure. I finished the adventure. <laughs> and only I could. All right. You've definitely read the book before. Mm-hmm. When, when, why, how? So I'm going to say it was 2007, like winter, beginning of the year before spring. And this book is so progressive to me, like coming out of, well, I grew up Catholic, which was super liberal um, in my, like my personal <laughs> experience of it. And then very much sucked into some very culty, more like fundamentalist Christian, supposedly non-denominational churches. And so I was like, oh, like I've been so wrong about all this stuff. Like women shouldn't be preaching and like women are not allowed to teach and like relearning submission and like I'm not married yet at 26 because I'm ugly and fat and stupid. And this book was like very healing for me at the time in a lot of ways. And then there were like, even just in the first chapter, I'm remembering like I tucked that away because I was like, I'm not sure I understand this. And then I never figured it out. (laughs) It just kept not understanding it. But yeah, like, the circumstances were very much like I had entered into what ended up being a very abusive relationship with a church leader, very much being groomed for leadership, you know, like missions and pastoring and all of it. And this book gave me a lot of freedom because it definitely, it's, it's complementarian, I think in a lot of ways, but it definitely like, at least attempts to give women some power, some voice, and some equality with men. And it also progressively identifies church as part of the problem. So I, I think that in a lot of ways, while pro- very problematic, Stacy is very, she's a little bit feminist and a little bit progressive and has deconstructed a lot at this point. And she's 45, she says, when she, when she wrote this book. And so for me at the time, I was like, oh, I'm allowed to like rethink this. And I was going to a church where women were speaking and they were like empowering me, grooming me for leadership. And so I felt very, I felt very empowered um, because of what I had come out of. So in a lot of ways, it was actually like really healing to read this book just because of like the the horrible circumstances that I was in within church at that time and the main thing that I didn't understand was like just like this this element of like the way that men and women are supposed to like kind of respond to each other I think kept me confused because I wasn't ever really able to experience that in a relationship like I was never able to experience like that feeling of like need and being needed and wanting to be needed. Um, I've always wanted to be equal. Mm-hmm. So that's where I kind of like, that's where it drops off for me. And like, I was never able to like reconcile that. So if it was healing for you back then, <laughs> at what point and why 
did it become something you thought you had thrown away yeah. or, you know, have moved out of your bedroom? When did it stop being an ally? <laughs> well, I mean, probably like by the end of that relationship that I was in, I mean, I feel like I just started reading this book when I, when he and I got together and by the end of that relationship, I was kind of like, it's all crap because like I said, like he was very abusive and a lot of that abuse was like spiritual power and authority. So it was extremely confusing. And it's like, well, if this is what Stacy is telling me that God wants for me, and this is like not what's happening, like who's wrong, you know, probably Stacy, not God. Probably. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe both. We'll see. <laughs> so from the first reading to this one, did you read it again or did you, or, or were you just like always reading it? through that relationship and then you're like oh I don't think this works no I think that like it was a big thing at that time it was every women's group study you know everybody had this book and everybody was talking it about it and talking it like it was the language of the time I think and it's just like the things that she describes in this like I was never able to tap into and I think it almost made me feel like even worse because she does identify like Women have these things about us, but I think that, like, she misrepresents where they come from. It's just a lot of things that are misplaced within, like, all of these, you know, tame anecdotals that these, like, Colorado Springs Christians love to throw at us to generalize as though that's, like, fact for everyone. Yep. And use Ooh. that as teaching. You, you are female and... You liked to play dress up when you were a child. That means that you need to be beautiful. It is given to you by God innately, this deep desire to be beautiful. This deep desire that is your number one desire. This is your whole identity to be beautiful because you you belong among the wildflowers. (laughs) But she was right. That's your quote. So go by captivating, (laughs) y'all. She hit it. She hit the nail on the head. So how did you feel about reading a chapter of it in this day and age? I just like again like reading that intro, like I I really did read it a few times where I was like, what am I missing? Like it just feels very tame and kind of lame. And then it's like, she's right about she's right about a lot of stuff. Like church and culture teach women that we need to fit a certain mold but it's like I don't think that that's because we are innately programmed that way I think like built that way by a creator I think that it's because society has told us that we're not beautiful and that's why we don't have a voice and that's why we don't have like a place um, and that's why we don't have worth and then it's like you know you hit like 40 and you look back and you're like uh I was definitely beautiful and like you start, I mean, for me, like, I don't think this is everyone's story by any means. I started dating non-Christian men and I was like, oh, I'm not ugly. I didn't know. I'm not stupid. I'm actually attractive, not unattractive. Oh, huh. That's weird. So like, who told me that I was ugly? Yeah. I think Stacy would probably say the devil, <laughs> but, and I need to hear God's voice telling me that I'm beautiful because that's the longing of my heart. But, like, that's so secondary to me to, like, everything else. It's not the first thing. It's not the deepest thing. So, like, how I felt about reading it again, 
I can't believe that it was so profound to me at the time because right now it just feels like this is not anything. I remember, maybe I read it around the same time because I definitely read it while I was still in Australia. So it's, yeah, 2006, 2007-ish. And I don't remember anything from it. Like, I remember reading it. I remember I remember liking it. I remember yeah. feeling like, oh, yeah, this is speaking to me. Yeah. Reading it now, the book tells women that they're stupid. Mm-hmm. I feel stupid in retrospect for ever <laughs> thinking this book was not stupid. But I also also can see how, oh, no, like, this book speaks directly to the insecurities that are sewn into young Christian women. Mm -hmm. So it's just speaking to all of that. And it's just saying, here's all the things we've told you about yourself. Here's all the things you feel about yourself. And now I'm just saying these things. Yeah, exactly. So it did. It did resonate because it's like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. all the places the church has chipped away at me. This book is now going to paper over for a second. Yeah. So I knew, I knew these, both of these books we're going to be bad. Same way I knew the beta Satan was awful. But I thought these books, I was like, oh, they're going to be bad, but they're not going to be that bad. Because nothing's going to, like, that's a high bar. You're just not going to, you're not going to reach that. And then reading this, I'm like, it's, it is bad. It is just as bad. Yeah. But it's in such a different way. Yeah. It's so much more, in some ways, maybe worse. Because it's more subtle and much more insidious. Mm-hmm. And it... It's talking to, you know, Wilder is talking to men, allegedly. Captivating is talking to women. Like, you're talking to everyone with no basis for any of this. You're saying all sorts of wild things. You're saying all sorts of wild white things. Oh, yeah. And it's just, the audacity is just at an all-time high. Yeah. And it's so harmful because none of this, none of this is helping anything. Like, for as much as it wants to point at oh, the church has told you this, or, you know, these all these different things and places are trying to put you in boxes. All this is, is here's a new box, but this one is even more unclear because we're not going to tell you how to be a woman. We're just going to tell you how not to be one, and you're going to check all those lists. So I know everything I'm doing wrong, but I don't know how to do it right still. It's a wild card that tells you that you should be wild but keeps you in a cage trying to figure out what to do with this wild card. It's a joker. Yeah. I felt it's not even like, it's not even a joker. Just one of those rule cards. (laughs) This is, this is a go fish deck. And this isn't, this is an old mate rule card. (laughs) Let's get in here. (laughs) And then not go together. (laughs) But speaking, speaking of bait of Satan though, I just, I don't think you have anyone doing introductions, so I'm just going to, like, tag it on to my chapter one. Introduction. Now we are on holy ground. (laughs) It's akin to the book you hold in your hands. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And who, I'm pretty sure John, did John write? Well, that's another question. It's like in this book, this chapter is pretty much mostly Stacey. The other chapters. Yeah. Well, it gets very, very questionable who's writing, and John is a lot of it. He he chimes in. He chimes, he chimes in about in. the heart of yeah. a man. It's which is basically just copy and paste from yeah from Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. is this whole book. Which honestly. I guess if we're the first, we should just Wild at Heart is there are three core desires in the heart of every man. 
if you haven't read that book, you really should. It will open your eyes to the world of men. Nope. <laughs> this is her reading the introduction. This is not no, this her is the end of, this is, Okay, sorry. I should have said, as I, John here, <laughs> described in Wild at Heart, there are three core desires in the heart of every man. Um, every man wants a battle to fight. It's the whole thing with boys and weapons. Hmm. Look at the movies men love. To have Daniel Day-Lewis look you in the eyes and say, no matter how long it takes, no matter how far, I will find you. Don't you want that, Janet? No. No. But I learned that I was supposed to want that. Right. And that there's something innately wrong with me if I don't. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so number two, men also long for adventure. And number three, every man longs for a beauty to rescue. He really does. Because where would Robin Hood be without Marion or King Arthur without Guinevere? See, I have these two examples, so it's fact. <laughs> these two fictional yes, examples. Exactly. And that's how you know yeah. it's real. Just like just like <laughs> this one child that Stacy has met, whose mom Stacy has met, told her that she had a dream about being a queen because she, and it made her feel beautiful. We were all Emma with a crown on her head and a scepter in her hand. Ruling absolutely ruling. Our, yeah, our dreams and our dreams. So this book, this book should have been called Movies to mm-hmm. Live By because it's full of just fictional examples, scripted stories used to prove how real people mm-hmm. are and function or should function. But it does open with a supposedly real life story, a real life account of her deciding to go on an adventure. <laughs> You read it several times and got yep. nothing from it. I read it a couple of times <laughs> and got angrier and mm-hmm. angrier. Because I'm like, this just seems, if this story happened as you, you told it, <laughs> this seems stupid. It. This seems like a bad idea. Mm-hmm. For what? I don't know. Adventure, like, Jana. But we don't even want that. That's a man thing. No. What, you, what we want, what you want, is... To lead a man into adventure so that he can rescue you. Because the longing of your heart is to be rescued. No, the longing of my heart is to be lovely. (laughs) Yes, foremost. That's That's the the biggest question. The question. Wait, what are the three? Am I lovely? Am I lovely? That's the question. Wait, because it's based on what the the man wants. man wants the three things. A battle Mm -hmm. to fight. So the woman wants, but she wants a beauty to mm-hmm. unveil, but that's not, that's that's not the one that goes with that. She wants an irreplaceable role in an adventure. Yes. And she wants, what's the first thing? To be fought? No. Yes, to be fought for. Because men want to battle. Men want to fight they and want women to want to be fought for. So I want to be a battle ex. Yeah. <laughs> I would call, I would say you've accomplished that. <laughs> <laughs> to be romanced. Yes. That's yeah. what it is. To have him... Women want to be romance. have a man carve a little necklace for you that you can still cherish. <laughs> this book loves me. <laughs> so anyway, she tells a story about the family mm-hmm. is out, dusk was settling in, and they decide to go canoeing. So they were already mm-hmm. camping. Why they didn't go canoeing all day, I don't know. But she decides 
as night is falling, let's go now. Mm-hmm. She says from the beginning, like, it's not the smartest idea because they don't have much well, time. Well, she has to set the scene and oh. make sure that you know that there was danger involved. So he got into the river. But then, because then I'm thinking about, I'm like, if you're on this river and you're going down river, you're going to have to walk this canoe back to your <laughs> car? And, like, you can sail, right, down river a lot faster than you can walk anywhere carrying a canoe. So, like, it just didn't make sense to me. I thought that they, like, turned around and went back, and that's why it was, like, harder. But they did eventually. They had to row back upstream. But, like, the plan was to sail for a while, get to where that moose was, (laughs) and then get out. Oh, and camp. Yeah, they were going to camp there, I think. But the moose was, like. Because their car is back. Yes, at their their other campsite. At the other campsite. (laughs) So this whole story, to me, does not make sense. This seems like a bad idea from the beginning. So they're sailing for however long. It's beautiful. They get to the place that they're going to get out, but then there's a moose there, and a moose can... A moose is 5,000 pounds and can stomp you to death with this. I just... Definitely when I first... When I very first read those, like, 20 years ago, I was like, oh, cool, a moose. Like, that would be really cool to see. But where is it? I mean, this is not the longest story. I should be able to find this pretty easily. A remarkable speed, 1,700 pounds of muscle and antlers, and total unpredictability make them dangerous. Um, more, yes, and more yes. people are killed in national parks by moose. So did, did anyone fact check? <laughs> I meant to, and I didn't. Do I believe this? Are people killed by a moose more than a shark? Well, this is national. Yeah. Are people killed by moose more than a bear? More than a snake? Moose attack people more than bears and wolves combined. Whoa. Meese are out here doing yeah. damage. But hippos more so. Hippos are more dangerous than moose. How many people are killed by moose in Canada every year? 236. That's, that's kind of a lot in one compared. But you know what? I've never seen it happen in a movie, so I don't think it's real. Based on their way of proving facts, if it's not in a movie, (laughs) it didn't happen. That's a good point. I wish that they had been recording this, because then we would get to see the moose. We could smell their fear. Okay, so hippopotamus is the number one killer. Hungry, hungry Mm -hmm. hippos. Elephants are next. Saltwater crocodile, uh, roundworms, scorpions, vipers snail freshwater snails hmm. humans mosquitoes number 10 i don't see moose on the list but more people are killed in national parks by moose than any other animal in national parks national parks you heard it in 2005 from stacy aldridge first <laughs> but like did she know that going into it or was she like like they know they know mooses you can okay so i actually have looked this up because i was saying mooses in high school and people were like no it's moose it's either fun Uh english word that can be either can it you say it however you want janet you say it enough times they'll add it to the dictionary um so they know that they exist in this area maybe how much research did they do before they camped out in the in the tetons how like did they know well enough to fill Comfortable going yeah, to see, as nice That's as what falling. I'm wondering is like, would, were, like, was her reaction like mine would have been like, oh, cool, a moose? 
And then she realized later for storytelling purposes, that was actually really dangerous and we could have gotten killed. I don't think the story is real. Oh. Because the logistics just do not check out for me. (laughs) Again, the car is parked here. The car is parked point A. At point A. (laughs) We are going to get in this canoe. At dusk. At dusk. And sail down river to to who knows where. Where there is How no light. How long can you sail in a minute on a river? Yeah. How far are you guys going? And she's talking about beavers slapping the water and dust. Yeah. And ducks taking Very off. Very Stars coming out. And now the owls are hooting. <laughs> so it sounds like y'all have been out here for a while. So point B is where you were going to get out. Wherever that is, that's far away. Now you're going to take this canoe out of the water and walk back to point A because you were in, the plan was never to, to sail back because that was going to be too difficult. Yeah. So they get to point B where they were going to have to walk from holding a canoe, allegedly. You, you felt way more into this than I did. And maybe it's because if you're going to tell a story, like as a storyteller, mm-hmm. you're thinking about, does this make sense? Yeah. Is this believable? This is not believable. Yeah. So now you get to point B, Mr. Moose is there. Now we have to go a little farther down because mm-hmm. we're reacting to, oh my goodness, we can't get out of the water. And now we've got to row, paddle all the way back upriver. Yes. I think that I just thought that they were like, they were just going to like camp there. Where they got out? Yeah. Like that's what I pictured, like another little campsite. Where's their stuff? Like in the boat with them, like in their backpacks. Which also is is dumb. Like, y'all have a campsite, but now you're going to go camp at another Did we get a fact checker on camping in the Tetons? (laughs) (laughs) This story is a lie. We were camping in the Tetons, so it just so happened that our canoe was on top of the car. She made the whole thing up. She made this up. Just so she could say, I was no longer Stacy. (laughs) I was Sagajawea, Indian princess of the West. A valiant and strong woman. And that, that's when I got mad at myself. <laughs> now so Janice like, how did got I... mad at then Janice. Yeah. yeah, I see that. How did, how did you let this how go How did by? this escape? Yeah. And not even, I mean, they've revisited this book several times and yeah. added like whatever. How is the word Indian still in here? I don't. Understand. Indian princess. So that that in two thousand five, six, seven, whenever it was, I might let that go. But you're not. You're not. You're not. You're not. You're not. You're not. I think her inclusion of that is it just like speaks to the romanticism of white nationalists thinking that like I mean like romant totally romanticizing what it was like because okay Sacagawea was probably like really deftly navigating these streams that she had been on before mm-hmm. um trying to get away from you. <laughs> you you are not her we're not her paddling around with your family frivolously yeah. stupidly after hundreds of years needlessly needlessly uh, after hundreds of years of the water evaporating it's a little bit less dangerous for you now. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I mean, Wild at Heart is definitely a Wild West colonization <laughs> fan fiction <laughs> fantasy book. Yeah. Like, that's what he wants to yeah. be. And this is the companion. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you wealthy white woman with, I'm not going to say you don't have a care in the world, but you, you're, oh, you're fine. But you are on this dumb, made up adventure <laughs> and you see yourself as an Indian princess yeah. of the West, like romanticizing just again, this, this colonial yeah. idea of, and, it, and they all lived happily ever after. Yeah. Like, but like uncharted territory to, right. to the white man. Uncharted to by you. the white, yes. Uncharted. Right. By the, Undiscovered. Mm-hmm. Un, you know, untested, untried. And I just imagine John kind of being like, oh, look at her. She's so cute. You know, and she's all like, look at me. I'm brave and amazing. And he's like, oh, she's she's cosplaying wildness. She's getting a little taste of what it might feel like to be wild. I think. And nobody could do it but her. I don't think John thought a thing because the story did not happen. You think like her editor was like, you can't start the book. I'm trying to remember when I first knew in my heart that I was no longer a girl that had become a woman. And then she talks about periods and bras and... And her weird dad. And her very abusive dad. Mm -hmm. um, Telling her that no boy will love you if you're fat. um, Mm -hmm. Skirting over that into, like, jumping. (laughs) Jumping into the feminist movement, which was wrong because they're radical and those women just want to be men. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think, like, the thing that I couldn't capture in this book is, like, she says four pages in, what does, what does it mean to be a woman? And it's like, what does it mean to be a woman? It's made up. How are we going to discover that when it's made up? That's a question you can spend the rest of your life trying to answer. But Why? Because you can't, because it's not only made up, it's made up generation to generation. Mm -hmm. Like, based on what what options are even available to the women of the time. Yeah. The different classes of women at the time. I'm like, there's no, you can't, you can't do it. And so I started going through and just circling where she was saying, you know, my story is like most women's stories. Like, it's not though. It's like your story Stacy, it's like most of the women in Colorado Springs at your church. <laughs> it's in your women's group, yeah. but that's not—that's not nearly everybody. That's not America, even. That's not the world. No, that's not even all of Colorado Springs. <laughs> it's most of it, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's most of Colorado Springs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, page like five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've received all sorts of messages, but very little help on what it means to become a woman, and very little guidance as to what a real woman even is. Because who can tell you that? Again, her generation was having a completely diff- different experience from her mother's generation. A completely different experience to us reading this stupid book <laughs> <laughs> right after her. Yeah, like there is no most. <sighs> And there is no one to tell you what it should be foremost. Yeah. I think, you know, to answer like one of your earlier questions, 
of like what this did now. To, it's like, I, I don't have anything in common with this woman. I'm 42 and she's 45 when she wrote this book. I have nothing in common with her. And, and she's saying like these things that all women have in common. And it's like, that's just not my life. I can't relate to this. If I had picked this book up now, I, w- I don't think that I really would have kept reading past that story. Past Sacagawea, I would have thrown the book across the room. <laughs> it's so annoying. This, this, is, this is an extreme book dealing, dealing in extremes. Because right after that, right after the most, most women, how a woman of God could actually be confident, scandalous, and beautiful, yet not portray herself as a feminist Nazi or an insecure, I need attention, emotional whore. These are your two options. Unless you have Jesus and a man to rescue you. Yeah. So which one am I? Because I don't have either. Who did I become? Did I become the feminist Nazi or the whore? Is it possible to be both? I think that's oh, what I did. Yeah. I think I think we're both. I think we're a little bit of both. <laughs> we we did it. We did what most women could not mm-hmm. do. Only we could do it. <laughs> Where I'm trying to find that part when she's talking about that. Um yeah, here it is. Why do I love remembering the story of canoeing in the dark beauty of the Tetons so much? Because I was needed. I was needed. Not only was I needed, but like R1, I was irreplaceable. No one else in that canoe could have done what I did. Because John was sitting in the back of the canoe humoring you and going, look how cute she is. Also, no one else in this story, as told by you, could have generated this story. (laughs) You did this. You created this need for you. Yeah. So wait, if she, if she alone did this, no one else could have done it. Does she need John? Did she need John to rescue her? I guess that's the end of the book right there. <laughs> so we don't, we don't need a man to rescue us. Apparently not. And it's not because we we're can, not beautiful. We can. Get into our own trouble (laughs) and get out of it. Row ourselves right out because we're irreplaceable. (laughs) In our own adventure. Yep. So that's just that first, that's just the introduction to what this book is (laughs) allegedly about. And then we get into all the reasons why I think this book was nothing but a cash grab. Oh, everything for sure. Because at that point, John had been like really popular. Wild at Heart was so popular. Yeah. And in Wild at Heart, he laid out these three things that women want. So she already had, even if she wanted to say something different or thought something else, this is what it is. I'm sure it was the editor. You're going to work with these. Yeah. Three things that every woman wants to be romanced. Mm -hmm. An irreplaceable role in a great adventure. So that you can be rescued by a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you want to be romanced. Mm-hmm. And then a beauty to unveil. Yeah. Which is annoying to me just because why do Christians talk like this? Nobody walks around saying, you know what I want to do today? <laughs> I would love to unveil some beauty. I really wish the listener could see this. <laughs> Janice just unveiled a little beauty. <laughs> it's so stupid. 
It's very stupid. God created you as a woman. That's in italics. No other choices. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Whatever it means to bear God's image, you do so as a woman. Female. That's how and where you bear his image. I have more questions than answers now. Well, this is where it becomes... I mean, this whole this whole book is just very, very black and white. It's very this or or that. Very binary, yeah. Yeah, but then that becomes so problematic because yeah. God is not binary, and this idea that God is out here creating, basically splitting themselves in half. Yeah. Here are my feminine qualities. Here are my masculine qualities, and because I am creating this female body. Based not on its heart, not on its soul, but based on the genitals that I have given it, here are the attributes it's going to have. Yeah. No question. That's it. But also, <laughs> each of you is very special and unique. Yes. It doesn't work. <laughs> no. Um, I, don't, I don't say gender is like a spectrum, but when I... When I think of it that way, it's like, it's like when you see like the rectangle of like all of the colors, it's like everybody has like a dot on there somewhere. And it's like a, almost like a chart or a graph. It's not like from left to right, you know, like it's not polar sides. It's like, these are all of the combinations of like hex codes and everybody is like a different hex code. That's the way I look at it when it comes to gender and sexuality and how they intersect. And I think like I've pretty much always had that view, especially growing up. And, and so then like to kind of try to have someone attempt to teach me, you know, like these are feminine, like you're feminine and you want to be feminine. And then just this struggle to like really find that within myself and like, to even understand what that's supposed to mean and look like. Um, that's where it like very much dropped off for me. Like that's where I was like, I got to figure this out. Cause like, this is so important. Mm-hmm. And, and then I never did. <laughs> <laughs> it never became clear. So then how do you even function day to day? Well, Jana, I don't. <laughs> Not at least not as a woman, not as a Christian woman. Um, and but that I think that's her point though, is like we're not functioning as Christian women. Like all of us in church, like we're not functioning as Christian women. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. I really feel like it's like she kind of got started on the right track. And then it was like, no, no, it's this. It's actually like these like little rules and like these little binaries, and you gotta fit within that. So like you can call yourself wild, but make sure that it's not like, like a man is wild. You know, like you're a warrior, but make sure you know that it's not the same way that a man is a warrior. Right. Like you're strong and you're, <laughs> you're brave, but like, princess. but like, fem- yeah, like, but like in a, in a feminine way, in like a pretty way. Yeah. She does list some like badass women, but like. She, you know, some of them are actually from the Bible, but like Yael is not in there, mm. who 
the one who was like kind of violent. Peg. Yeah, tent peg your house. <laughs> she's not in there because she's too violent. Well, yeah, but it's mostly fictional movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mostly, which is my second clue. She even if even if Stacy had different thoughts and wanted to do whatever, she didn't write this book. This is oh, John's no. second book. This um, is John's editor's book. <laughs> the yeah. love of movies and fictional stories. That is that is his love language. Yeah, it is. He cannot be stopped. <laughs> um, so this this book is her examples from her life that are. I believe largely fictional, fictional. <laughs> <laughs> movie women who are definitely fictional, and then a few scattered biblical women, and their very accepted interpretations yeah. of their stories. Yeah, that part of it though is interesting to me now because of like how much Christians hate Hollywood. And it's like, you know, there are only a few movies that, like, God put kind of pushed through the spirit realm, you know? Like, that he was like, these are my ideas, and, like, I gave these, like, visions to my people, like, J.R. Tolkien and, like, C.S. Lewis. They kind of heard from me, and so, like, their movies are my Christian movies. So, like, we can talk about, we can, like, use those as a framework. But, like... <laughs> And they aren't but even they hate it. Hollywood. Right. Well, she does talk about Lord of the Rings, which is John, right? It's John. That's John. <laughs> but it's mostly Gladiator. Uh, John Braveheart. Braveheart. Mm-hmm. But Braveheart was an evangelical movie. Uh-huh. I don't know how it became that <laughs> or why, but it was. God, um, God pushed that through. God pushed that one through. Well, last of the Mohicans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but her movies are Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, and The Little Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast and The Sound of Music. <laughs> I bet it's not The Little Mermaid anymore. Nope, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go edit the book again. <laughs> and all they're going to do is like add the date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the like, in par- like, what was it, like 1996 in parentheses? <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, Sacagawea Indian Princess will still Indian be Indian Princess. There. Nobody but Beth and I. Okay, there it is. Tamar Ruth and Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute, but like her real story, I think, was she's the one that like lowered the men in a basket out of her window. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, like, what were they doing in her room? Bible study. Speaking in tongues. Definitely interceding. Yes. Shouting to God. Calling on his name. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's 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 deal with the three things a woman wants to be. Oh, okay. To be romanced. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Tell me what that means, Stacey. What does it mean? It means having a boy... Carve a wooden necklace for you and put it on your car. <laughs> a boy and only a boy. A boy. Do women want to be romanced? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and as much as it, like, gives attention for, like, who we are and, like, allows us to be, like, seen and 
like prioritized. I think we want to be prioritized in relationships and like just valued, shown that we're valued. Yeah. Like I choose you. Yeah. Which I think can happen in romance and also out of it. It can also happen in friendship. It can also happen. Yeah. Yeah. And is that different from what men want? Do men not want to be romanced? So, like, I mean... Is is this a solely... I have given a couple of my ex-boyfriends flowers when we were dating, and they fucking loved it. Mm -hmm. They, like, loved it. Um, So, like, I think men want to be romanced, too. Even the straight men. Yeah. I think so, because who doesn't want to be valued and prioritized? Yeah. And shown that, oh, like, you matter. By the person that you, like, value the most, too. You know, like, a person that you've chosen to be a partner. Right. Um, Even, like, a person that you've chosen to be your best friend. Like, I like being prioritized by the people that I prioritize. And I like being shown, like, fun things. I don't know. Like, the last first date I went on, the guy, like... We, like, stopped into the store, and he, like, ended up buying me a candle just to be cute and sweet. And I was like, oh, he likes me. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. We like it. All right, Stacy, we'll give you that one. (laughs) But for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, for everyone, not just women. Not just women and not just solely romantically. We like to be romanticized platonically. Yeah. 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 So there's that. An irreplaceable role in a great adventure. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I don't know what that adventure is. <laughs> that's not like something made up, you know. But I feel like that's just life. People. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think I, and again, I don't think this is a solely feminine thing I think we all want to feel irreplaceable like again like I matter Mm -hmm. here and I like we do get I get frustrated right like working a day job because it's not this doesn't mean anything to me because anyone could do this yeah like this isn't I'm not irreplaceable here yeah do you think that's because you're creative like more so because you're creative I think Yes and no. I think it shows up for me like in office work because that's not mm-hmm. what I want to want to do. Yeah. But like other people genuinely love crunching numbers or yeah. figuring out spreads, like yeah. whatever. So they would probably yeah. feel just as bored and lost, you know, if they had to come over here and help me do something musically. Like, because that's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everyone has has things that they would love to do that because they love to do them. And, yeah, especially in this pre-post-forever pandemic world where, you know, we're quiet quitting and, like, we just don't want to do things we don't want to do anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Like, you need to pay more because anyone can do this job. But if you want me to do it, exactly, then it's going to cost because... This isn't, I'm not irreplaceable here, and this isn't irreplaceable to me. Yeah. Um, 
So I think we just want to matter. But again, I think that's everyone. Yeah. I like being like uniquely appreciated for sure. Mm -hmm. Like if I take time and attention and like put care into things, I like that being like recognized and acknowledged. Like this is how we want to partner with you. Right. Because you like bring something unique to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that changes all the time. Yeah. If you have one, one great adventure in your life, I guess that's, that's great. I hope it makes an impact. Yeah. (laughs) But I feel like we're all, we're all having different adventures all the time. So yeah. So she's not wrong, but it's not Not entirely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Not just women. It's not just like this one man's job in my life to like give me that. Right. Right. And the adventure doesn't have to include a man. Some will, some won't. But in hers, they they definitely do. Yeah. They have to be there. Yeah. John has to be a witness to it. Yeah. And to be part of it. And what's kind of disturbing <laughs> is in Wild at Heart, he talks so much about Braveheart, about Legends of Fall, but it's like these different stories where the man, you know, he wants this battle to fight and this, you know, the beauty to rescue. Mm-hmm. And as much as this says, oh, an irreplaceable role, his examples are very replaceable. Like these women die in these stories. And he's, he's fine with that. Like, he's good with it. He's like, oh, she served her purpose. Um, and now this man is inspired to fight. And it's like, wait a minute. If my irreplaceable role <laughs> requires me to die for this man's story, I'm not really interested. Yeah. Well, Christians love a sacrifice. In that, they do. A sacrifice, a martyr. Martyrdom equals love. So that's that. And then a beauty to unveil. So like, like, does that mean that like, I just, I just imagine like a beauty to unveil this phrase makes me think that it happens like slowly and intentionally. And it makes me think that there's something about it that's obviously hidden to begin with. So I want to be found beautiful, but, like, I also i am going to, like, hide it from you and, like, show you, like, a little bit at a time, I guess. I don't know, because her examples are six-year-old Lacey mm-hmm. going from office to office singing her little song. So that's not very mysterious. That's not taking a <laughs> long time. The time her and John go to a ball. Yeah. And all the women are dressed up and they're all unveiling our beauty (laughs) who knew i did not expect everyone here to be dressed up you didn't you didn't even lose 20 pounds and you look amazing (laughs) so again this is that's 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 quick that's not happening that's not a right right, process yeah and then her her friend lily at the christmas Dinner party. Yeah, doing all her little twirl. Her little twirl, because she looks cute in her little her, jumper. Her little candy cane jumper. 
And her wrinkles magically disappeared because if you're beautiful, you can't have wrinkles. That's that's the unveiling. Okay, there we go. I get it. The oh, disappearing I get it. wrinkles. I get it now. It just do women want to feel beautiful, especially for events where it's kind of required and expected? Yes. Is yeah. this a core cry of my heart? No. And do women, again, like this book was written to speak directly to the insecurities given to us by, by society, by Christianity. Boom. It is important to be lovely, to be beautiful, if you can, because it is advantageous in society. Yeah. So but what? <laughs> it's not, no one should be born kind of like knowing that. Like no baby is born like, oh. Am I beautiful? Look, I must be beautiful because, look, my dad is watching me. He's captivated by me, so. (laughs) Everybody is, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) And so it just feels, it just feels, it just is just so reductive. Yeah, for sure. I think something that I kind of recognized about this book, about, like, specifically the beauty to unveil, is that I knew at the time that I did not, I distinctly did not want to be found beautiful because that meant that I would be resented. You know, like men can't be attracted to you if you're not their wife. So you're bad if you're beautiful. So I think that like that was what I found like so confusing, but it also was like, oh, I'm, like, allowed to be found beautiful, but, like, by my husband <laughs> when that day comes. Which it never did. <laughs> <laughs> so by your husband and by friends at special events. Yeah. Like, I'm so excited for you that your husband has a beautiful wife to find beautiful. Because he wanted a beauty to rescue, so I'm really happy for him that he found one. He found one, (laughs) and it was irreplaceable you. (laughs) Yeah, it's reductive. It's like, I mean, it's pretty cheesy, too, but it's also so serious. Like, because she talks so much about shame and inadequacy, and it's like, those things are, you know, like, other people not finding you beautiful is dependent on like their view of you. It's not, but she's talking about it as like this innate thing that we need. So it's like, well, how do you like win for losing on that one? You can't. And then ultimately it doesn't help that we're going to now lean into, well, God thinks you're beautiful. God, you know, and that's, that fills my heart. (laughs) And it also fills mine and everyone else's. (laughs) To the point where it doesn't fill anyone's heart because it doesn't count anymore. If God, <laughs> God thinks everyone is beautiful, that doesn't actually help me ultimately because yeah. I still need, I, I'm going to need another cosign on this. So I'm going to go back to the original sources and be found wanting again. Yeah. So my big question with this book, with this chapter, is why? Why do we do this? Why? Because it's a good just question. Said nothing, ultimately. Yeah. yeah, I don't even feel like she 
begins to like present, it's like she, she identifies the problem, misidentifies the source and does not begin to identify the solution. It's a big nothing burger. A big nothing burger made of moose meat. (laughs) Of moose poo. (laughs) (laughs) So who is this book for? Nobody, Jana. Jana. I mean, I guess it was for like 26, 27-year-old Faye, like with her little worldview of confusion. Um, I don't know. Like I'm kind of excited to read the rest of it when I get to it Um, because it's like I want to go back and get myself like, I feel like I, like, left, I left pieces of myself in that confusion. I'm supposed to be this certain way, and I just, like, can't figure out how to do it. Um, and, like, going back and going, like, no, like, come come on. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Like, let's, <laughs> let's go. Come on. Come back. And, um, and, like, really digging into, like, why did I... Like, what did speak to me and, like, what didn't? And and I really do think that it's, like, I I developed kind of as, like, a defense mechanism coming out of an abusive relationship. Like, I developed this, like, oh, yeah, like, Stacy and John kind of, like, have laid out this promise from God. Like, the real strength of a man will kind of, like, rescue me from my, like, situation, you know, because I, I have always wanted to get married. Like I have always wanted a life partner. And a lot of that has been centered around like always wanting kids. And I know that I'm, I know that that's not every woman. A lot of my friends don't want kids, you know, and I have family who has wanted kids and didn't have them. And like, I have family who never got married and my 101 year old aunt never got married. Um, but she's like a mother to everyone. So like a lot of those things kind of like centered around having the right partner. And so it's like, okay, well, this is a framework for like what that could look like. And it's like possible. And so that felt kind of hopeful to me at the time. And I think that like, I didn't really think that much past it because I just thought, well, I'm in this environment and I'm doing the right things and following the rules and like following hard after God. And like, it's all going to come together. And then it didn't. And I'm like, still okay. (laughs) And I'm like, happy and good, you know? So yeah, I think it'll be like kind of interesting to like reread the rest (laughs) of it. (laughs) And again, you're doing that to yourself. (laughs) I do not recommend it. Um, You are wild at heart and always looking for a battle to fight. So I am a fighter and, and like Stacy telling me like, okay, you want to be a warrior, but like, you got to tone it down. And like, that doesn't work for me (laughs) because I'm going to fight you. (laughs) I'm going to fight. Like I like, I'm going to fight for love, you know, um, I'm going to fight against things. I'm going to fight against oppression and hopefully get better and better at that. And so don't tell me not to be a warrior the same way a man is. Like, why not? Why can't I? She doesn't explain. She at least not in chapter one. I'll let, I'll let the rest of the chapter speak for themselves. <laughs> Good luck. 
Yeah. <laughs> Good luck to you. I mean, I'll read this book one more time, but like you're going to read it and then talk about it and then read it and then talk about it and then read it and then talk about it. I too love a battle to fight. So Yeah, you know. This is my irreplaceable role in a great adventure. You and your tent, <laughs> you and your tent packs. Uh, looking at this book from the perspective that everything is permissible, I obviously cannot stop a bad John from writing a bad book. <laughs> um, but not everything is beneficial on a scale from 1 to 10. With 10, beneficial to the max. Highly recommend. Go out and get it today. Down to 1, harmful for everyone. Check this into the library and hell where would you place this book okay so i mean i gave beta satan a zero or or negative uh, like like for me when i first read it six seven eight honestly because it's so much better than the other shit that's out there i think that like i had read every man's battle that's far in the negative that book was super harmful to me at the time so reading wild at heart it just it just felt better you know like it just felt more like okay it speaks to like goodness and it's it's a fiction but it still is like it didn't feel so harmful and so this book like i wanted it to be more you know even at the time i wanted it to be more because i felt like wild at heart was so much more than every man's battle and so like that that would have been the book that I would have recommended. So like yeah, I would I would have recommended this book like hands down. And I I think that like over other books, you know, like if a 7th grader girl is going to like go into a Christian bookstore and pick out a book for women, please take this one over like pretty much all of the others. I don't think that like a lot of the stuff that's like, I mean, there's like the every girl's battle, you know, every woman's battle, like that stuff is harmful. This is like, you can read and read and read the first couple of pages and just like your mind goes blank. So maybe like for everyone, give it a one or a two. It can be a one or a two. It doesn't have to be a zero. I can kind of see her like motivation in it. And I can kind of give that to her. This bitch called herself Sacagawea. And you said, no, I can see her. (laughs) (laughs) I said she gets a one on a scale of one to ten. She gets a one. But like, okay, so like I think that if someone read Bait of Satan, I would feel like I would want to get on the same page with them and be like, like, well... Like, why did you get anything good out of that book? Or if I had, like, recommended that book to someone, I would go back and be like, I'm sorry, I don't think these things, I don't think this way, like, this is wrong. This book, it's like, I feel like if my mom picked this up and started reading it, I'd be like, eh, she can figure it out. I think you feel that way (laughs) because you have forgotten. You're talking about this book the same way I was thinking about it. Like, it's not that, it's going to be bad, but it's like, it's not that bad. Okay. And so now let's circle like, back to future Faye after reading the rest of this book. Yeah, and she you're says, in chapter, okay, you're in chapter one. I'm in chapter I'm one. Gonna... How many chapters are there? Let's talk to future Faye real fast in chapter 12. Yeah. Oh God. And then there's a, there's okay. There's stuff after that. And that's, she's, that's the beauty of this, yeah, she's, of she this podcast. Like, like <laughs> based on just a snippet, just one chapter. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't steal your hope like okay i love that you think this book is just like neutral <laughs> neutral like it's, it's, 
Yeah, I could. Yeah, it'd be fine. If you want to read anything, sure, captivating. Anyway, at the end of the introduction, it says Jesus still has the power to heal us as women, to touch us, to restore us in our places of deepest need, and we all have need. All of us. In fact, some of us have been bleeding much longer than 12 years. You were given the platform and opportunity to advocate for healing. What is something you think is bleeding women today and needs to be confronted? Well, exactly what she talked about in this book, like what the church is teaching women. She just doesn't land the plane. I don't know if she ever takes off either. (laughs) Probably not, but... (laughs) (laughs) Everyone is boarded and just sitting on the runway. (laughs) It's like a nightmare situation. Because for some bizarre reason, moose keep crossing in front of the plane. Oh, man. The plane is no match for a moose. More planes are downed by mooses than any other land animal. By any other land animal. In a national park. So instead of captivating, what is something women constructed and or focused that you would recommend? Well, like, this is problematic because I feel like let's, like, throw away this whole notion that there's, like, books that we need to be, like, targeting women with, like, what we're writing. Like, I feel like we need, it's, like, it's too gendered. It's, like, too binary and too gendered. One of the books that, like, books that are about, like, bodies and embodiment, My Grandmother's Hands by Rasmus Menachem, because it's, like, this, this book Captivating is so much about like what a woman wants to do and like activating. And I feel like there are things that we have been like very much trapped and prevented ourselves and been prevented from activating. And I think that like some, you know, some of those like more like psychology and embodiment books about somatics take us more into like what we need to be able to like recognize what is in us, um, man or woman you know, non-binary, wherever we are. And like, instead of going like, okay, so I like have these genitals, I was assigned this gender and I have this like role in society that I have to play. So what does that look like? Where can I find those instructions in myself and like not finding them? I think that that book is like, it's just like so much better at like identifying where we kind of got lost along the way and like what we can do about it as well. Yeah, and that is, yes, written by Resma, who is a man, but it is woman-focused. It does, yeah, speak to women. Yeah, as as like a marginalized people. So, okay, so that counts. So yeah, (laughs) you said all that to follow the rule. That is what we are inviting you to. Not to learn one more set of standards you failed to meet. Not toward a new set of rules to live by and things you ought to do. Something far, far better. A journey of the heart. A journey toward the restoration and release of the woman you always longed to be. This book is not about what you ought to do or who you ought to be. It's about discovering who you already are. As a woman. A woman who at her core was made for romance. Made to play an irreplaceable role in a shared adventure. And who really does possess a beauty all her own to unveil. The woman God had in mind when he made even when he made you. Glorious. Powerful. And captivating. 
And that's that. Thank you for dropping in on the Bad Book Club. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than we did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, the Legata Scratch production, and a God is not given side hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of Jodley and Jodwelling patrons like... Sean. Thank you, Sean. If you're enjoying this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or a review on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you're looking for a better book experience, ask Amazon about The Grift of God and or The Divide by me, Janice Legata. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. This has been an episode of Bad Words, but to finish up, here are some good ones. Keep creating. So inspiring. Just do your thing, people, because... Yeah, be wild. If these bozos can write a book... Yes. Two books? Yes. Anyone can. One. May you have the confidence of a mediocre white man. (laughs) Amen.